Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name is John. I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live. But we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Well, good evening. It's good to see you guys. My name's John. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're just so glad you chose to uh, spend this nice, warm, summer Sunday evening with us. And if you're watching online in the comfort of perfectly working air conditioning, good for you. No, it's, it's good to be seen by you. Thank you for watching. And I know last week, if you were here last week, I said, hey, the air conditioner should be working this week. Well, give me one more week. All right, we have one side working. So this side of the air conditioner actually works. So over here, you're just earning more credit in um, holiness points, because that's a thing. Anyway, it's good to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, one other thing that's starting tomorrow. So tomorrow, actually, the air conditioner guy should come and get the air conditioner all going and all that, right? Good. Okay. Well, another thing that's happening tomorrow, excuse me, <clears throat> we are starting on our parking lot tomorrow. I know. We are in the middle of a financial campaign raising money to regravel and expand the parking lot out there because uh, in the winter it gets pretty bad and muddy and dangerous and whatnot. And so we have raised enough to start the parking lot. So when you come here next week, you're going to have a brand new parking lot. Isn't that awesome? Now that doesn't mean it's all paid for yet, guys. So I mean, maybe just put that in your, what would you put that in? Your bonnet. Put that in your bonnet, because you're all wearing those. Good for you. <laughs> anyway, hey, it's good to be here. It's good to see you guys. Uh, we are on the final, uh, we're going to call them episodes, final episode of this series that we're in called Discovering God. It's been six weeks of basically kind of walking through these, uh, these stories of people who discovered who God really is as they were recorded in the Jewish scriptures that we call the Old Testament. And we've, we've discovered a few things. When we started off, we talked about how, you know, often, and it's kind of the whole basis of this series, is that what we think we know about God, like what we maybe grew up hearing or what we experienced from maybe religious leaders who, you know, kind of didn't have our best interests in mind, maybe uh, from, you know, media or movies or, or overbearing parents, I don't know. But what we think we know about God often keeps us from really discovering who God truly is. And so we're kind of trying to kind of peel back all those layers and look at who is God really? What can we discover about God? And what we've discovered is that God wants us to know who he is. He's not a distant, mysterious force or being. He actually wants us to know him. And what he wants us to know is that he is for us. He created everything for us. He has been for us before there was an us. He is for 
us, but the problem is sin separates us from him. Sin, basically, as we define it, is breaking the law of love. Jesus said there's two, two laws of God. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. We've all broken that, and that sin separates us from ourselves. We try to hide, you know, we're not honest with ourselves of who we are. It separates us from others. We're not, we don't feel comfortable being, you know, real with other people because we feel guilty and shame for the sin that we've we've been a part of, and it separates, separates us from God. Not that he's not looking at us and not wanting us because of our sin, but because for some reason we have this guilt, we have this, this um, <clears throat> barrier that we put on ourselves between us and God, and he is chasing us and wanting us to, to get rid of that barrier, to get rid of that sin. And the way to do that, peace with God, we learned, comes from one single act of trust. Not from keeping all the rules, not from knowing all the theology, but from one simple act of of trust. And it's not like God's waiting for you to make that choice. He's not tapping his toe. He's, he's slow to judge. And our past doesn't disqualify us from his love. And God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. And God likes you. He made you with your kooky personality, kooky's a word, on purpose. Can you believe that? And here's the thing, God's love is not based on our behavior. We can't earn it because of our behavior, and we can't lose God's love because of our behavior. And so we're going to wrap up this series with probably one of the strangest stories ever recorded in the biblical writings. If you grew up in church, you know this story, you're like, oh yeah, I totally get it. If you didn't grow up kind of knowing these stories, you're going to think this is nuts, because it kind of is. It's the story of Jonah. You've heard of Jonah and the whale, and those of you who grew up in church are like, it's not a whale, it's a fish. It doesn't matter. It's still weird. See, here's the thing with Jonah. Skeptics and scholars have debated the historicity, historicity, it's one of those words, of the story of Jonah for, for centuries. Because honestly, this story is impossible. It's, it's impossible to actually happen unless a whole bunch of miracles actually take place. Now, for me personally, and I'm not putting this on any of you, even watching online. For me personally, I believe the story of Jonah is a real, true story. Why? Because Jesus talked about Jonah. Jesus apparently thought Jonah was a real historical figure. And for me, I'm not a very complicated person. I try to keep it simple. Jesus rose from the dead. I think that's pretty amazing. He rose himself from the dead. So basically whatever he says, I'm going to believe. I'd like to rise from the dead someday and be with him. And so I kind of just go with what he says. You don't have to do that. See, here's the thing. <clears throat> I, with, with debatable things, I side with Jesus, but I want to give you an out. See, if, if this Jonah story is too much to swallow, get it? Swallow? Yeah, I, I planned that one, but if it's too much to swallow, I want you to see this, this story of Jonah as just that, a story with a message. Your whole life, you have been inspired and motivated by amazing stories, right? By, by like the book To Kill a Mockingbird, right? That, that inspires people. Um, movies inspire you to be a better person, a better, a better spouse, a better friend, a better gladiator, a better World War II soldier, right? You ever been inspired to be a better gladiator from a movie? Good. But see, fiction can inspire our real lives to make us better people, to give us better lives. So if the Jonah thing is too much for you and staying alive in a whale for, or a fish, whatever you want to call it, for three days is too much, that's okay. 
Just see it as an inspiring story. That's okay, because honestly, this story is not really about a guy getting swallowed by a big old fish. This story is the story of the unbelievable scope of God's love. What one man had to do to really just wrestle with how grand and all-encompassing God's love really is. See, here's the thing. I think it's easy for us to say, and we try to say it often, that God loves everyone. Right? That's easy to say. God loves everyone. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves everyone. And it's also easy to say, I think, God loves everyone equally. Right? If he loves me, he loves you, he loves everybody equally. But here's the thing. If we dig a little bit deeper into that, I think few of us actually believe that. Few of us actually believe God loves everyone equally. God loves everyone as much as he loves me. See, in our true hearts and our true thoughts, maybe even in the subliminal realm, and whether you believe in a God or not, or that's something you're still wrestling with or still working on, I think most of us, and we won't put it in these words, but most of us feel that some people are more deserving of God's love than others, meaning some people are less deserving of God's love than others. And the funny thing is, most of us often put ourselves, often, in the deserving box, right? And the people we don't like or disagree with or live differently than us, it's amazing. They often end up in the undeserving box. And it can be, you know, all types of distinctions that we make. It could be big things, like it could be racial distinctions. One race deserves God's love more than the other, or uh, one culture deserves it more than the other. Uh, You see it often with the political realm, right? And we don't always say, you know, they deserve God's love less, but they deserve maybe love less. They deserve uh, to be heard less. They deserve less respect. So it could be political, maybe sexual orientation, income level, anything like that, where we kind of put ourselves higher than others. We put ourselves as more deserving of God's love than others. Like, well, I've never done that, right? I'm not a racist. I'm not a sexist. I, 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 I accept everyone. Well, it might be more personal than that, right? Maybe it's a neighbor that you just can't stand. And you have good reason. That dog keeps going on your lawn. And you haven't put it in these words, but there's something in you that feels like you deserve God's love more than they deserve. Could be a neighbor, could be an in-law, could be that coworker that is always out to get you, could be your ex, could be your ex-in-laws that you feel are less deserving of God's love than you. Maybe it's a boss. See, the root of prejudice really is the belief that you and those like you are more deserving of God's love. Whether you put it in those terms or not, that's the root of prejudice. It's where bigotry, racism, sexism all come from, that you deserve God's love more than somebody else or more than another group of people. And here's the thing. Jonah had some major prejudices. And in fact, as we're going to see, he had a good reason for those prejudices. He he misunderstood one very, very important aspect of God's love. God's love is offensively inclusive. God's love is so inclusive that at some point it will offend you. And that's what Jonah had to wrap his mind around. And God goes to great lengths to help him wrap his mind around it. 
So let's, let's dive into this story of Jonah. We're going to start with Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's, it's, it's usually hard to find because it's a small one. Um, my mind's going blank of where to find it. It's in the Old Testament. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, jo- Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And that's why you put your kids in Sunday school. Anyway, so Jonah is in the Old Testament. Page number is seven. Just kidding, I don't know. I don't know what your Bible is. Anyway, but if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about any of that because we're going to have it all on the screen for you. And if you're online, you can just Google Jonah, the book of Jonah. So let's read what it says about Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, if you grew up in church and you gave up on church, it probably has a little bit to do with a verse like that, just taken like that. Go to Nineveh, tell them how evil they are. Maybe that's what somebody felt like God said to have them tell you. And that's why you're maybe not willing to come in person, you're watching online, or maybe why you kind of are a little ginger, gentle, ginger, gingerly coming in to a church. Here's the thing, let's, let's dive into this, really look at this. So the time period we're looking at is about 800 to 700 BCE. This is about 250 years after King David that we talked about last week. Okay, 250 years after King David, and Jonah is a prophet, somebody who actually spoke for God. Because back then, there really wasn't a the Bible to turn to. For like, okay, so what does God want from me? Uh, what does God want for, for our people, that, you know, this Jewish race? We don't know. There's not really a the Bible. So God sent prophets who would speak for him. And so God tells this prophet Jonah to go to Nineveh. You've all heard of Nineveh, right? Sure you have. No, it's, Nineveh is basically, it was on the outskirts of modern uh, Mosul, Iraq, when ISIS was blowing up all the historical things and stuff back in the day, uh, one of the places they were trying to blow up was uh, Nineveh. And it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Assyrian Empire really was, is considered one of the first major empires in the world. And here's the thing about the Assyrian Empire. They didn't become an empire by loving their neighbors. It's not really how you did it. You know, it wasn't like the king's like, oh, I love you, I love you. Hey, people over there, we love you. Would you like to be part of our country? That's not how it worked. They were brutal. They were ruthless. The Assyrians perfected torture. You know, like skinning alive, impalement, boiling in oil, fun things like that. Welcome to Cross Creek. The Assyrians were enemies of Israel. In fact, they conquered the territory and they moved other people from other conquered areas into uh, ancient Israel, which is actually those people became the Samaritans. Maybe you heard of, if you've studied Jesus' life and stuff and how the Jews were against the Samaritans, it's because they came in from the Assyrians and all that historical stuff. So that's what we're dealing with. But here's the thing, that empire was made up of people. Yes, there are horrible choices being made. And yes, the empire was evil. If you, can just, if you can wrap your mind around evil, that's what the empire was. But that empire was made up of people. People that God loved. People that God had created on purpose. And so he sent Jonah, not to just tell them how evil they are, but to warn them 
that they need to change their ways, change what they are worshiping, and repent and follow the one true God. Much like he probably sent somebody to Jericho when we talked about Joshua and Jericho and Rahab and all that, how they had already known that they were coming. And so there's just one problem with this. Jonah. See, Jonah didn't think the Ninevites deserved God's love. They didn't deserve to be warned. They were evil, and they deserved to be destroyed, not given a second chance. And so Jonah thought if they aren't warned, then they won't be saved. And then they'll actually get what they deserve. Really smart idea. And so here's what he does. Verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I know you all have a mental map of the ancient Middle East, right? And where all that is? You don't. Let's talk about it really fast. Okay. Jonah is in Joppa. It's only 550 miles to Nineveh. Jonah said, heck no, I won't go. And tried to sail 2,500 miles all the way to Tarshish, Tarshish in modern southern Spain. So he basically went as far as a human at that time could go to get away from what God was telling him to do. To get away from having to offer forgiveness to the people that he hated. And he learns something that we're going to see. That running from God is exhausting. You better know how to hold your breath. Let's go on. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And so the sailors on this ship, seasoned sailors who, who knew how to travel the whole Mediterranean Sea, the you know, trade back then was actually more, more extensive than anybody actually thought. They were discovering more and more how the trade routes worked in the ancient world. So these guys knew the Mediterranean Sea, and they are freaking out. This storm is unlike anything they've ever seen. So they start throwing all their stuff overboard. And there's no way to get it back. They're losing their livelihood, but they don't want to lose their lives. And so they throw all this stuff overboard, but the storm just gets worse and worse and worse. And so in their uh, um, superstitious, religious way of thinking at the time, they said, this must be the gods. This is some supernatural thing happening. This is nothing that we've ever seen before. Somebody's God is not happy. Who is it? And so the story says they cast lots, which is basically like throwing the dice to see, okay, who, whose God is mad? Who is it? And every time they cast the bones, it landed on Jonah. And so they say, Jonah, uh, obviously it's you. Who are you? Why is this happening to you? And here's what Jonah says. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. Because obviously, that's a real God. He's doing something. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So he said, they say, what have you done? How, you're running away. Okay, so how do we make this storm stop? They say, obviously, you know this God. You, 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 you work for him. He's mad at you. How do we make it stop? He says, throw me in the water, and you'll be safe. Throw me in the water, 
You'll be safe. You'll get to go on your way. Basically, here's the thing. Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh. Don't you think he knew that if he said, hey, turn the ship around because I'm running away. Let's turn around. I'll drop me off at Joppa. I'll go to Nineveh. Then you can go back on your way. Everything will be fine. God would have relented. God would have said, okay, yeah, you got the point. Instead, he says, throw me in the middle of the sea and let me die. Jonah's very dramatic. We're going to see more of that later on. He would rather die than go tell the people of Nineveh that God loves them. So he says, throw me in. Here's the thing. Our prejudices make us stupid. He was so prejudiced against the Ninevites that he couldn't even think clearly. He's like, I just want to die. Just kill me. And I think running from God makes us stupid, doesn't it? I know that's a hard word. My kids aren't allowed to use that word. I think it fits here. Running from God makes us stupid. Makes us make stupid decisions. Makes us think that he's against us just for who we are when really it's us doing the running. We think he's turned his back on us and so we, you know, we're, we're on our own. He hasn't turned his back. He's never turned his back. We've ran away. And so the sailors throw Jonah in and the storm calms. And they sail away their happy little way and Jonah sinks and sinks, and he's ready to die. And then a fish or a whale, it doesn't matter, swallows him. And he's in that fish for three days, you know, all Pinocchio style, if you remember that one. Three days in the belly of a fish. Not much to do there, but think. Why am I not dead? I should be dead. Why, what does God want me to do? I mean, I, obviously I can't make any decisions now. I'm stuck in a fish. He had time to think. And here's something he realized. Here's, here's the prayer, part of the prayer he prayed when he was in the fish. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. And here's what Jonah learned in that fish. To run from God is to run from love. See, to run from God is not to run from consequences, not to run from rules, but to run from love, the epitome of love. Because here's the thing, why did God hear Jonah when he was sinking? Why did God save Jonah with a fish. Why didn't he just let him drown and pick somebody else? There were other prophets alive at this time who were in Israel, a lot closer to Nineveh than Jonah was. Why did God go through all of this? See, Jonah thought God was punishing him for disobeying, by killing him, right? The storm's, the storm's brewing, throw me in, kill me. God wants to destroy me because I disobeyed. He thought God was punishing him, but he didn't understand this, that God's punishment is not to pay us back, but to bring us back. God's punishment is not to pay us back. That's not what God says. He doesn't say, hey, okay, you messed up, now you're getting this, and the consequence is gonna, or the, yeah, the punishment's gonna fit the crime. It's not to pay us back, but to bring us back to how we were always designed to be, to bring us back to his love. See, he loves us unconditionally the way we are. 
No matter where you are, who you are, what decisions you've made, what decisions you're in, what's happened to you, God loves you unconditionally where you are. But he also loves you too much to let you stay there. He has a plan for you. He has a design for you, and he wants to have you have that life that he planned for you. He doesn't want to leave you just where you are. See, when God tells us to do something, it's not because he's, you know, that, that mean stepfather or whatever that just likes to say no. It's for our own good. God tells us to do something, whether scary or easy, it's for our own good. And you can be like my three-year-old daughter and say no, 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 and fight against it where finally I have to, you know, pick up her arm, pick her up by her arms gently and move her away from the hot object. When we don't listen, we sometimes, when, when we don't listen, our parents have to actually pick us up and move us. And sometimes that feels really unfair because we have no control at that point, do we? But we had a choice to make. And now sometimes to bring us back to where we're supposed to be, the choice is made for us. It's not to pay us back, it's to bring us back. And here's the thing, God didn't destroy Jonah because he hadn't given up on Jonah. And he hadn't given up on Nineveh. And so the story goes on. Jonah's in the fish for three days. Jesus alludes to that when he talks about him being in the grave for three days. And the fish finally spits him out. Think about that. Think about that smell. Think about you know, not seeing the sun for three days and being in that water and that fish for three days and everything else that fish is eating. And I don't know, you know, if it's real, maybe he's starting to get digested and he had to keep ticking his foot out of the digestive tract. And, right? It's gross. Don't run away from God. But the fish finally spits him out. And he's like, okay, I get it. And he goes to Nineveh, which is a huge city at the time, about over 120,000 people. And he actually obeys God, and this is what he does. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, basically going into the middle of the town and proclaiming. And this is kind of how I read it, knowing Jonah. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. I don't think he shouted it. 40 more days. I'm doing it, God. I'm doing what you told me. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. 39 days, right? That's how I, I'm guessing he did it. Not much heart behind it. Not much effort. He knows the Ninevites. He knows the Assyrians, right? This is pointless. He's thinking, these people are too far gone. He's in the middle of the city. He sees all the idols and all the, all the corruption and how they, how they uh, mistreat their women and how it's, it's, uh, their, their religion is all about just stuff I don't really want to mention right now. He sees it. He's in it. He can smell it. This is pointless. They're going to be destroyed, finally. They're too far gone. Problem is, there's no such thing as too far gone. In fact, that's not a problem. The good news is, there's no such thing as too far gone. Because here's the thing. The Ninevites believe him. Despite his best efforts... The Ninevites believe Jonah, and they repent big time. 
The king gets word of it, and he puts on his sackcloth, which is like, you know, super uncomfortable clothes to wear, and sits in the dust, not what a king of Assyria would usually do. Sits in the dust, and he says, hey, everyone, we need to repent. We need to change what we're doing. There's a real God, and he wants us to change our ways. He wants us to be his people. He wants us to worship him. So everyone's going to fast. Everyone's going to give up eating. In fact, and it says, I want your cows and your chickens to fast as well. That's how serious they were. If a chicken started eating, they would knock it away and not let it eat. I want your cattle and your flocks to fast. So they called on God. He said, call on God. Give up our violent ways. And they do. And God forgave them. And he relented. See, no one is too far gone to receive God's love. And so the Assyrian, the capital of the Assyrian Empire repents, calls on the Jewish God, the God of the universe. Jonah, as a spokesman for this God, should be elated, right? Holy cow, it worked! I, it wasn't that good of a message. I didn't, even, I didn't even have notes with me. I just winged it. This is going to go down in history. They're going to write a book of the Bible about me. I mean, this is the empire that's controlling the known world. And now they're following the one true God? This is going to change everyone's life. He should be ecstatic. Here's what happens. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Because he knew better than God, right? Right? Often we become angry when we think we know better than God. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord? Here's the thing Jonah has. At least he's honest with his feelings with God. He's not trying to be polite, and we never have to be polite. But he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall. Stop. Tried to stop. In case, you know, you don't know the word. Tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Oh my gosh, I think Jonah might have been around 14 when this is going on. (laughs) Doesn't it seem like it? Just kill me, throw me in the water. That didn't work. Oh, you forgave. Just kill me. I can't live like this. See, here's the thing that Jonah discovered that I think we all need to discover. God's love isn't fair. God's love isn't fair. He forgives people who don't deserve it. He doesn't give people what's coming to them. God loves people who hate you. God loves people who try to ruin your life. Jonah knew this and knew God, knew that he loves everyone. That's why he ran. And so he thinks, well, you know, God might love him and he's relented, but these are the Ninevites we're talking about. I'm guessing this whole like repentance thing isn't real. I'm guessing that, you know, it's just this emotional response to the, the 
tone of my voice when I was preaching. You know, it, it was cloudy that day, so the lights were low, and the music sounded good. So it was just this emotional response that the, that the Ninevites did. So what Jonah does, he goes up on a hill, overlooking the city, builds a little shelter for himself, and sits down, waiting for the Ninevites to screw it up so he can watch God destroy them. And so God makes this big, leafy plant grow up in the matter of minutes or an hour. I don't know. I wasn't there. This big, leafy plant grow up and shades Jonah as he's watch, waiting for the Ninevites to be destroyed. Jonah's happy about that. The next day, God sends a worm to eat up this plant, make it fall over, and it withers. No more shade. This is what happens. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die again and said, it would be better for me to die than to live because it's so hot. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? My plant died. Kill me now. He's so dramatic. It's in the Bible. You should read it sometime. And then the story ends abruptly. God says, why are you mad about this plant? It ends abruptly, but it ends very interestingly. And as we read the last two verses of this story, this book of Jonah, I want you to look at the differences in concerns. Look at the differences between Jonah's concern and God's concern. Excuse me. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. You did nothing for it. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. See, God says, you've been concerned about this plant that you did nothing to help grow, you had no connection to it, we're just giving you some shade as you wait for people to be destroyed. You're concerned about a plant. I am concerned about people, the people I created, the people that I know by name, these people who don't know they are loved. They're trying to find their own way, and they've turned to violence and evil instead of knowing what true love is. That's what I'm concerned about. See, Jonah valued a plant over 120,000 people. He was more upset that this little vine died than that these 120 people would have died. 120,000 people would have died. God had given Jonah the plant, and Jonah was happy about it. God had given the Ninevites another chance, and Jonah was so furious he wanted to die. I think this is the important point for the story of Jonah. Jonah. God's love is often easier to receive than to give. God's love is so often easier to receive. Well, of course you love me. I love me. Than to give. Well, he loves me because I deserve it. But you, oh my gosh. Have you seen you? Have you seen the choices you made? See, Jonah's religion was about him about what he got from God, about, what, about who he was and who his people were. In his mind, God's love was just for his 
people, the Jews, the people who spoke his language, the people who shared his culture, the people who shared his history, the people who followed the right rules, sang the right songs, and wore the right clothes, and voted the right way. They didn't vote back then. But that's who Jonah thought deserved God's love. He couldn't fathom that God's love was actually and literally for everyone. He didn't get that no matter who you are or where you come from, no one deserves God's love. No one deserves God's love, but it is offered to everyone. I don't care who your parents were. I don't care that you were born into church or not. I don't care what what you've chosen to do since your 20s or whatever. No one deserves God's love, but it is offered to everyone. No one deserves it. Like I said, we've all broken the law of love. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. We have all hurt other people on purpose. We've all made decisions that made us feel good at the expense of someone else. That is breaking the law of love. We've all done it. But everyone is offered God's love. It's probably one of the most famous verses ever written. For God so loved the people that deserved it. So God so loved the Americans. So God so loved church people. So God so loved the world. Martians, I don't know, but that's a different thing. For God so loved the world that he gave, God loves to give, gave his one and only son that whoever, you can put your name there, because whoever means you, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, Jonah is the picture of the lengths God will go to love and save people that we would rather ignore or worse. God loves people that we would rather ignore. And so really the question after, after looking at Jonah is this. Who are your Ninevites? Who are your Ninevites? Oh, I don't have it. Yes, you do. Who do you think doesn't deserve God's love and forgiveness. And again, even if you don't believe there is a God, who do you think deserves love less? Who do you think deserves respect less than you? Who do you write off as too far gone? Who do you have a hard time wanting God to save and forgive? To whom do you have a hard time extending God's unconditional, unfailing love? Maybe this. Who do you secretly wish will fail? Who, if they failed, you'd be like, yes, I was right. They got what was coming to them. It's about time. Could be large groups. You know, if the Republicans fail in 2020, oh, they finally get it. Democrats, black, white, brown. Who do you think deserves God's love? The natural born citizen? undocumented immigrants, rich corporate elitists, do they deserve God's love? What about those vegan environmentalists? Do they deserve God's love as much as you do? Suicide bombers, white supremacists, 
politicians? Do they deserve God's love less than you? Those are the big groups, but maybe it's more personal like we talked about. Does that coworker deserve less of God's love? Are you wishing, hoping that they finally get caught and screw up so bad that they finally get fired and you get what you deserve? Your boss, that neighbor, those in-laws, your ex's new wife. Think about it. The same death that Jesus died for you, the same agony he went through for you, the same blood he shed for you, he shed for them. Every single one of them. Loved the whole world that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The people that came to mind as I was talking are the people who need God's love. They're your Ninevites. And God just might use you to show them how much he loves them. Doesn't that suck? (laughs) And you might be saying, yeah, but you don't know them. Yeah, but you don't know what they did to me. God's just going to forgive them. What What about justice? Yeah, but is it fair that God loves you unconditionally? After the choices you've made? Is that fair? What about justice against you? God's love is not fair. So I got a plan for you. I'm not just going to leave you hanging like that. Here's a nice simple plan. First, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody about this. It's just you. I don't, I'm not going to check your homework. Be honest with yourself. If you need to, write down the name of the person who came to mind as I was talking, or the name of the group. Write it down somewhere. If you're like, oh, somebody might see it, write their initials. Write a little symbol. Draw an elephant. Write down their name if you need to, but be honest with yourself. And then, and you're not going to like it, but don't be Jonah. Pray for the person that is hard to love. Pray for the person that is hard to love. Yeah, but I don't even really believe there's a God. Well, then it's not going to hurt anything if you pray, is it? It's worth a try. Pray for the person that is hard to love, and you will change your heart will start to change if you're willing to do it. It's not easy. See, it's hard to hate someone when you're asking God to help them. It's hard to hate someone when you start seeing them the way God sees them, as a lost child needing love. Now, after you're honest with yourself about who that is, after you pray for them, maybe for a week, let's give it a timeline so you know, you're off the hook in a week. Pray for him for a week. What happens after that, that's between you and God. What happens, how you act, how you interact, that's between you and God. But be honest, and then just pray for him. Because here's what we've discovered in this Discovering God series. Discovering God is not about facts. 
It's not about Bible verses. It's not about creeds, and it's not about theology. Discovering God is about discovering a relationship that transform you into who you were always meant to be. It's a relationship that's not based on rules and behavior, but on forgiveness and love. See, discovering God really is discovering a love that you can't earn and you can't run from, no matter how hard you try. A love that is so unconditional, you can't lose it. Discovering God is discovering that you can forgive and love because you have been forgiven and loved. You can forgive and love because you can be forgiven and loved. Discovering God is not about religion. It's not about rules and getting every theological question right. That's not what it is. See, when you discover God, you discover that people are the priority. Not the rules, not the theology, the people that God made and loves are the priority. How are we loving them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are patient and that you are kind and that you are gentle but that you are true, that you don't let us just hide in our excuses. You don't let us just hide in, well, I was just made that way. You love us unconditionally and you love us so much you're not willing to let us stay separated from ourselves, from others, and from you. Thank you for coming and rescuing us. Thank you for loving us. Give us the courage to love others the way you've loved us. Give us the courage to accept others the way you've accepted us. Give us the courage to try to see others the way you see us. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you take some time and maybe discover who your Ninevites are. And then I hope you invite people for next week as we begin our new series called Becoming and we have a sweet potluck. So invite your friends and we will see you next week with a new parking lot and hopefully new air conditioning. See you later.